Thanks for tuning in to Redeeming Grace Bible Church. Here at Redeeming Grace Bible Church, it's our full conviction, as Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, that all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We pray as a result of this sermon, you come to see and know Christ more clearly, and if you do not yet know Christ, that you might also come to see him as Lord and Savior. Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make for you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that, the people that they had acquired in Haran, and, and they sent, set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built, he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and A on the on the east and there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord and Abram journeyed on still going toward the, the, the Najeb I thank you Don and even as we read from Isaiah we remember uh, each week as we open the word of God together that though the grass withers and though the flower fades that the word of our God remains forever. Let's just ask his help as we look at his word together. Bow with me, please. Gracious God in heaven, Lord, we, we praise you, Lord, that you have brought all things into existence by the word of your power, Lord, that before creation there was you, the triune God, eternally, Lord, joyful in the fellowship of your persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and Lord, that it pleased you from your fullness to bring forth the world, Lord, the overflow of your glory and goodness, and to 
set the man and the woman as your delegates, Lord, as your representatives upon the earth to exercise authority, to be fruitful and multiply, that your glory would cover the earth as the water, the sea. And Lord, we we realize that, uh, Lord, man was quick to break the covenant that you had established to eat of the forbidden fruit and, Lord, cast humanity into darkness, into sin, into the destruction that we still see in many ways played out today, Father. But we praise you and rejoice in the, the good news that you did not turn your back on humanity, Lord. You did not condemn all men simply to eternal hellfire, but, Lord, you purposed to bring forth the promised seed of the woman to crush the head of the serpent. And Lord, as we consider this unfolding plan in your word, though we now live in the, the last days, we enjoy the, the fullness of these promises. I pray as we consider, um, Lord, even the covenant to Abraham this morning, that you would help us to, to understand uh, its importance, Lord, understand your faithfulness and the, the foundations of our own hope and blessing uh, in you. And we, we ask for your help. And I pray my words would be clear and profitable to your people, that, it would, that I would speak in the strength of your spirit, and that you would grant insight, Lord, and uh, just faith in the inner man for each one that hears. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> you may be seated. Thank you. Papers out here. So we, um, as I mentioned last week, started a bit of an Advent series as we typically do something a little different as we approach Christmas. We stepped out of our study in 1 Samuel and uh, taking some time then to look at the various covenants that God has established even from the beginning. And these covenants that uh, had obvious implications in their immediate context and so the ones whom they were given... But what we begin to see is that through these covenants, God is unveiling, is revealing the mystery of Christ, the coming of his Messiah. And so this uh, is an important study for us to consider as we want to uh, just see the, the whole counsel of God and realize the, the um, redemption, the plan of God that we ourselves have been brought into by the faithfulness of God. And so Genesis 12, then, is where we find a, a major uh, progression in this plan of God. And I was thinking about uh, even this time of year, we had a few birthdays here recently as well. So we often associate gifts, um, depending on the family you know, tradition. Uh, Christmas time, perhaps, you open some gifts. And, and there's always the, the one person in the family that seems to enjoy opening them extremely uh, slowly, and it can be sometimes painful to watch someone who, who just seems to enjoy opening the gift, and uh, you kind of want to run over there and, and tear it open for them. Uh, I think it was my, my grandmother would actually open them so slowly so that she could save the wrapping paper and didn't want to actually damage the wrapping paper. And, uh, and, and so we, we understand that even you know, young children, they, they want to quickly tear open the gift. They want to see what's inside. They want to unveil uh, this hidden treasure And in many ways, as we consider God's progression uh, throughout the Old Testament, throughout history, it is the very slow, gradual unveiling, the opening of a mystery that was hidden in times past in many ways. And 
piece by piece, it is made clearer and clearer. And one of the primary ways that God has revealed this to us is through the various covenants that he has established. And, and so we're just uh, trying to very briefly look at some of these covenants. Last week we looked at the covenant uh, of works, as it is often called. Sometimes it's referred to as the covenant of life with Adam and Eve there in the garden, the covenant that if they do not eat of the forbidden fruit, they would enjoy communion with God, they would enjoy blessing in the garden of God, and uh, they would enjoy life everlasting. And, and, and we know that they obviously broke this covenant, and as a result, man was cast into darkness, cast into chaos. They were, they were exiled from the garden, and instead of God's glory and goodness being uh, spread across the earth through the, the offspring of the man and the woman, we find that there is instead rebellion against God. But it has pleased God to not abandon uh, his plan, his initial plan of the glory, his glory being revealed through his image bearers and manifest upon the earth. And so if you think about those initial themes that are developed even in the Garden of Eden of the man and the woman as image bearers exercising authority and dominion over creation, the commission to be fruitful and to multiply, to steward all that God's given, God's desire for not only the garden, but also the entire earth to be filled with his glory and goodness through the offspring of the man and the woman, we see these same themes picked up again and we uh, are going to skip over um, the covenant with Noah for now. We might come back around to it. I just wanted to look primarily at these uh, covenants that, that uh, deal with, with the redemption um, through, through Israel and into Christ. Uh, and I mentioned last week, and my wife pointed out, it was a little unclear, uh, so I'll try to restate it again this week as we look at this, that with all of the covenants that God established, there are three main kingdoms that they deal with. And if you recall, we said last week as well as kind of a foundational block that, that through covenant, God establishes kingdom and he delegates authority uh, defined by that covenant. And so the three different kingdoms, if you will, that these covenants define, we have the kingdom of creation, which God established in Adam and is really reestablished in Noah. So the Noahic covenant is a covenant that deals specifically with creation. God brings about a promise of stability in the earth, a springtime, a harvest. He will not ever again destroy it by water. And this lays the groundwork for um, the coming of Christ. And there's the recommission to be fruitful and multiply to humanity uh, there in the Noahic. Uh, so the second kingdom that is established by way of covenant is the kingdom of Israel. And we see that particular kingdom beginning in its infancy here with the covenant to Abraham. And of course, the third and final kingdom to which the others point and find their fulfillment is the kingdom of Christ. And so we will be coming to that in the days ahead. So it's helpful to think of those three kingdoms and how the various covenants help us to define and understand those kingdoms. The, the, the kingdom of creation, the kingdom of Israel and really established through the Abrahamic, the Mosaic, and the Davidic covenants specifically, and then all of those pointing us forward to the kingdom of Christ, which we find in the new covenant. So this morning, I uh, want to just consider the beginnings of this new covenant that God establishes with Abraham. 
And I know for the, the young folks here this morning, we talked a bit last week about the definition of a covenant. We reminded that it's an agreement between two or more persons, uh, even from our catechism questions. And we also see that God not only establishes agreements or promises, but those promises are, are, are um, put into effect with sanctions or threats. And so if you do this, you will live. If you don't do this, you will die. And... As a reminder as well, covenants can be basically uh, obedience-based or they can be based upon promise and in that sense, gracious. Now with Abraham, then as Don read for us, we find first of all the inception of this covenant and then we're going to look at two expansions to the covenant. So first we'll see the, the inception of this covenant with Abraham and then two expansions that God brings uh, to this same covenant. Perhaps you've uh, you know, played a, a board game. I know one that uh, our boys enjoy a lot is the Settlers of Catan. And with the board game, you have the initial game with the initial pieces, the Settlers of Catan. Some of you probably played it. You gather resources and you build your town, you build your army and such. And then later on, they come out with an expansion that adds other elements to the game. And uh, some games may have two or three expansions. And I think that's a a bit of a helpful understanding as we look through this covenant. We have the initial giving of the covenant to Abraham. And then as we move through to chapter 15 and 17, we see God expands the covenant and continues to flesh out the implications of it to Abraham. So first of all, let us just consider the inception of this covenant in, in chapter 12 here. God initiates this as we see with the covenants. He comes to this man, Abram. Uh, Abram, we find just previously, um, we we have a bit of a a genealogy of Abram. And uh, he is, uh, we're told in verse 27, uh, Terah fathered Abram. And um, even prior to that, we see that uh, Nahor fathered Terah. So we have a bit of a, a genealogy here of this man, Abram. He's in the land of the Chaldeans, and God initiates this covenant with this man, Abram. And he commands him to go to a land that he will show him. And then there are really three elements. Now, if we can just kind of keep these three elements of this covenant in mind, it would be very helpful to you. There are three basic elements to this covenant. There is the promise of seed. God tells Abram, That uh, in verse 2 there, I will make of you a great nation. And uh, this will be repeated as God continues to expand and develop the covenant. So there is the promise of seed or offspring. And there is the promise of land. So that is a second key element to this covenant with Abram. That God will give to him the land. And uh, we find that as well here in the initial uh, instruction of God. To a land that I will show you. And we find as Abram goes on in, the, in our passage, he takes his wife, Sarai, and he goes with Lot, his, uh, his nephew, and all their possessions. And we're told that as they come to the land of Canaan, and Abram is passing through in verse 6, um, and to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Moreh, then at that time where the Canaanites were living, the Lord says to him, to your offspring I will give this land. And so Abram responds with building an altar unto God. And, uh, and so there's this land promise. We have a seed or offspring. There is a land promise. And the third element that is very important to this covenant is that of blessing. 
So God tells Abram, I will bless you. And those who bless you, I will bless. And those who curse you, I will curse them. But not only, for a, not only a blessing for Abram personally, but what we find is God tells Abram um, that he will actually bless the families of the earth through Abram. So there is blessing for him, but then it is also this, this expanding out of the blessing to all of the earth, to all of the nations, um, that God will bring about this blessing through him. And this we also find repeated throughout the, uh, the covenant as God expands it. And it's interesting, uh, and I was talking to Pastor Rory, he pointed this out to me, that prior to this, seven times cursing is mentioned from Genesis 3 onward. And now in this initial establishment of the covenant, we have the, uh, the, the word blessing repeated. Uh, five times, sorry. And uh, five times instead, God repeats blessing. And so we have this immediate shift in the, the revealing of God's plan of redemption. Mankind will not simply experience the curse of the fall, but there will be a means of blessing, and this will come through this man, Abram, through his offspring. And so this is how God initially sets up this covenant. He has initiated it. He defines the promises of it. We find it is initially based on promise here. God's not saying to Abram, if you do this and that, then I will bless you. Or if you do this and that, then I will bring about this offspring. He's, he's bringing it to Abram in a promise. And, and this is um, really the, the means of the nations being blessed. And that's also very important. If you personally want to be blessed of God, if you want to receive from God the blessing instead of a curse, then you need to understand that that is going to come through this covenant, through this man, Abram. And that's very important. Uh, Sam Renahan made the statement of this covenant. He said the blessing that was to come from their midst, speaking of Abram and, and the people of Israel, he said genealogically was meant for all nations. As a result, the nation of Israel should never have prided itself in its national identity in any way that would eclipse or subvert the transnational teleology of its existence. The nation is established by covenant in order to bring about a blessing for all nations. As we will see later, the purpose of the people is to bring forth the Messiah. The old covenant is to birth, uh, to give birth to the new. The kingdom of Israel is to give birth to the kingdom of Christ. And that is built right into the very fabric and the, the DNA of this covenant. It is one that God is going to bless the nations through this man, through this people. And so he was pointing out that for Israel to, to develop this national sense of, of identity and to develop this mindset of we are the circumcised and you are the, the unclean, filthy, uncircumcised was to misunderstand the design of God from the beginning. It was meant to be a channel of blessing to the nations to bring about the blessing of God for all the families of the earth. So we move forward then to the expansion of the covenant in uh, chapter 15. Now, obviously, there's some things that happen between there. Um, Lot is rescued by Abram as he is taken off. And an uh, incredible story of this, uh, you know, think of a 75-year-old going out to battle, rescuing his nephew from, uh, from pirates, essentially. 
But I want to shift over to chapter 15. And here we see the covenant expanded and ratified. And verse 1, we find, um, we read together. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, for uh, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And so God, once again, coming to Abram. Uh, this is not a new covenant being established. This is the same covenant that was initiated in chapter 12. God is reaffirming this promise to Abraham. He is, he is reestablishing the faithfulness of his promise. And he takes Abram outside and says, I know you don't have a son. I know your wife is barren, Abram. But I want you to go outside and I want you to look up at the night sky. And I want you to see all the, the stars of the heaven." And he says that just as numerous as these stars are, Abram, so will your offspring be. And we have this wonderful statement that Paul picks up on in the New Testament in verse 6 there, that Abram believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abram believed that there would be an offspring. There would be a son given and that there would be blessing by way of the son. His faith then connects him to the promise of God and there is this expression of, of him being essentially, I would say, saved, justified before God. He is counted righteous, which is a justification, by grace through faith in the promise of God. And we, for the sake of time, won't read uh, all of it right now. But it, as we move on into the chapter, the covenant is ratified. So God uh, establishing and expanding this covenant. We have this ceremonial um, picture of the covenant where God also seeking to affirm his promise to Abram to establish and, and build up his faith. They, he instructs Abram to, to bring uh, a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, and a ram, a turtle dove, a young pigeon. And they are cut in half, which was a common covenantal ceremony to ratify a covenant. And the, the idea is that both parties would pass through the animals indicating that if they break the covenant, then they will suffer the same consequence of these animals. And yet what is interesting here is God ratifies the covenant with Abram, is we find that Abram himself does not actually pass through. That Abram is put into essentially a deep sleep, and we find that in verse 17... God, in the, the, the form of this smoking fire pot and flaming torch, passes between the pieces. And on that day, we're told, God, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying to your offspring, I give this land from the rivers of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, and the land of the Kenites, Kazites, Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perzites, the Raphim, and the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gergesites, and the Jebusites. So God ratifies the covenant. He reaffirms the promise of offspring and of the land. And Abraham believes him. And this ceremonial uh, process of the animals being split and God himself passing through, indicating even he himself 
will bear the reproach um, for the, the breaking of the, the covenant. And something else we often miss here as God expands it. Um, in verse 13, I know for the sake of time we're rushing here a bit, but God also tells Abram that there will be a time where his offspring will sojourn in a land that's not theirs. They will be prisoners there for 400 years and then they will come out and they will have great possession and God will lead them. So already God is telling Abram, when I begin to bring about these promises, your offspring will spend time in a foreign land, 400 years, and then I will bring them out with great possessions, which of course we know is pointing forward to the time in, in Egypt. Then sadly, in 16, Sarah, Sarai at this point and Abram decide to come up with a plan to help God out in his covenant promise of the offspring. They are getting older and older. The years are passing by. Still, there is no son. Still, there is no offspring. And so Sarai comes up with this plan that if she gives her servant, Hagar, to Abram, and he has a child with her, that perhaps that can be the promised heir that will be the fulfillment of God's promise. And so they, they in, uh, you know, of their own initiative, this is not something God at all instructed them to do. Uh, this is what happens. And Hagar has Ishmael, who we know is not the child of promise. This was something that they sought to help God with, uh, kind of a pragmatic approach to fulfilling God's promise, but in the end was still not the child of promise. Now, a few things here before we uh, just move on to the next expansion. We find Abram here, uh, and this is what Paul picks up on for all of us, in this portion, he is established not only as the father of Israel physically, but there's also now this spiritual element brought in that he stands as the man of faith who is credited righteousness by grace through faith. And so we see already the beginnings of the, the, the idea that Abraham stands not only of a physical lineage, but a sort of spiritual lineage as well. Those who trust God, believe the promise, and are justified. Something else we see developing here is at times the offspring seems to be referencing uh, a, a, a numerous number of people, and then other times the offspring seems to be speaking of a singular person. And I think initially we would probably you know, just think, oh, that's just the way that that language works. But I want to just flip for a quick moment to Galatians and I want to point out something as well that's very important, again, that Paul picks up on here as God's developing this promise. And Abraham himself having some understanding. And you have to think as well, the, the promise given to Eve of the offspring, the seed, that same theme is being picked up here as well in this covenant with Abraham. And in Galatians 3... Um, verse 15, Paul writing about the, the life of faith, he says, To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abram and to his offspring. And it does not say to offsprings, referring to many, 
but referring to one and to your offspring. And who is Christ? This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. And this is one of the great mysteries of this covenant, especially that Paul picks up the, the language of even a singular offspring as the primary fulfillment to which God is pointing. And of course, this is uh, what we'll look at in the days to come. The, begins the, the, the wonderful, glorious news of how we are brought in to the new covenant in Christ by faith in him, connected to Abraham, the father of those who have faith. And I think we also see a picture in this expansion here, uh, the danger of impatience, the danger of impatience that can lead us to compromise. Perhaps looking at the, the promises of God, of, of the, the, the desire to see the gospel even go forth into the nations or to see our own progress in, in, in our Christian growth. And at times, in a desire to speed things up, there's a danger of compromise. Maybe changing the message of the gospel slightly or trying to, to seek out some you know, a, a, a experience by which we will be launched forward in our sanctification and this is a threat that has always been uh, against the people of God. We certainly see Abram and Sarah giving themselves over to compromise in hopes of bringing about the promise of God but there is a call for faithfulness to the things that God has said and trusting his fulfillment in his time. So we move on then to the third uh, and final expansion of the covenant in chapter 16. And I know this is uh, a lot of information. Um, and I think what I'll probably do is next week take some time to hopefully uh, look at some, some implications in more detail of this covenant. We're kind of just working through the material um, right now. But please bear with me. So, so Genesis 17. We have then a final expansion of this covenant. And uh, defining of it. We're told in chap- uh, chapter 17 verse 1. Abram is now 99 years old. So 24 years have passed from the initial uh, establishment of this covenant back in in, uh, chapter 12. He is 99 years old. He still does not have a son through Sarah. But we find that God again comes to him and establishes and affirms the promises that were already given. We have the promise of the offspring, the seed, the promise of the land and the promise of being blessed and being a, a blessing. So these will, will continue to expand and be fleshed out. So um, picking up at verse 1, told the Lord again appears to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. And then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made uh, you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. To be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be 
their God. So we have God again reminding Abram of the promises he initially gave. We have his name changed to Abraham, which indicates an exalted father. We also see in the expansion of this covenant here, a royal element brought in. So not only is there a son, but God tells Abram, from you will come kings. There will be, there'll be a royal line coming from you, Abram. And that God will certainly bring this to pass. And then the final um, piece of the, the covenant in, in verse 9 that God establishes is the covenant of, or the element of circumcision. And so God tells Abram that he must circumcise not only himself, but every male among him. And when a boy is eight days old, they too shall be circumcised. And so then we have the sign of the covenant established as an additional law. Uh, I know it's a lot, but we talked last week a bit about the difference between the moral law. So Stephen was talking with you, with you kids about the Ten Commandments. These laws that, that not only were given at Sinai, but were really put within us even at creation because they reflect the character of God. Um, and then there are positive laws or additional laws, things that God gives to man, specifically in covenant, that otherwise would not be known, that otherwise we'd have no way of, of obeying or keeping. And circumcision is obviously one of those things. Prior to this, Abram had no obligation to be circumcised or to circumcise the male children. So God now gives this additional positive law, we could say, to Abraham. And this is in the context of this covenant. And we find also the warning at the end here. So just uh, look down, uh, verse 13, the the, uh, second half of it. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. In verse 14, any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people, for he has broken my covenant. And then we have um, God again promising to Sarah, she will have a son. Her name is changed from Sarai to Sarah, meaning noble woman. So she will be the mother of royalty. And the promise is not fulfilled until chapter 21 when Abraham, Abraham and Sarah, Abram is... Uh, a hundred years old in chapter 21 when Isaac finally is born and given to this elderly couple, the fulfillment of God's promise. So we need to understand, I think, an important part because uh, and we'll hopefully talk about this a bit more next week. But yes, there are promises that are gracious in this covenant. And those promises God will and does bring to pass in the fullness of time. They are not based upon what Abram will do. God has said, I will bring about the seed. I will bring you into this land. I will give you uh, a great number of, of offspring and bless the nations through you. But we also need to understand that, the, that when God gives circumcision as the sign of this covenant and the commands that will follow in the Mosaic, there is also an obedience element here that Abraham is obligated to obey, as are his offspring. And if they don't, if they break the covenant, they will be disinherited. They will be removed, exiled from the land, 
and it will be made void. And, and I think that's important as we think about the, the whole picture here of this covenant with Abraham. Because there is so much confusion today about how we are to understand Israel now. What's our relationship to Israel? How are we affected by these promises given to Abraham? Are these promises still um, standing today? And, and there's a lot of confusion and it can lead us down some very dangerous roads. And I think even begin to subvert the centrality of Christ, the centrality of the gospel. And so, uh, Lord willing, next week I want to try to look a bit more at the, the implications and how the New Testament helps us understand um, what, what happened with some of these things. But just as we close, I want you to really uh, get into your mind the, the themes that were started in the garden and how those are picked up again here in the covenant with Abram. God, uh, in, in creating the man, in creating the woman, desiring the, the, the earth to be filled with his glory, that they exercise dominion, that they, they walk with God in communion in his paradise, um, that seemed to be completely destroyed at the fall of man, seemed that God's plan that he had set into motion had been derailed. And in Noah, there's a sense in which it is picked up again. Maybe Noah is the one through which this will happen, a new creation in a sense. Uh, a new beginning, a new commission. But we know that quickly also went off the rails. And now with Abram, again, we see the same theme, the same central um, purpose of God moving forward. He, He desires a people. He desires a place through which he can commune with his people. And so we have Abram set aside um, as a covenant people for God to commune with and to be a blessing to the nations. And we have, of course, the coming of the temple where God will tabernacle with his people. This, This theme is picked up in all of these covenants. And, of course, in each of these covenants uh, in the Old Testament, there is a sense of failure on the, on, on the, ha- on the side of um, the one whom God makes it with. And so there's this constant longing built into it as well of something better, of something new, of something final to come. So keep those uh, themes in mind. I had the, the picture maybe of a great composer who begins writing a symphony and an enemy comes in and changes the notes around and seems to make it into uh, maybe a minor key when he was wanting something to be more, more glorious, more uplifting, changes it, but then the composer uses even those minor keys to prepare the way for the chorus. And it's almost this kind of picture. God setting forward his plan, an enemy coming and seeking to destroy and distort and derail. God even using that to also add to the culminating effect of the chorus, which is to come. And that is sort of the picture here as we think about these uh, covenants. And just um, one more uh, quote from Sam uh, Renaheim here, because I think he said it so well. As we think about what God established with Abram here, he said in regards to this covenant and, and uh, Abram and, and the people of Israel, he said, they serve the purpose of preparing the world for the unveiling of the mystery of Christ, his covenant and his kingdom. They provide the preparatory foundation out of which and upon which the eternal plan of God will be realized. 
The kingdom of Israel is the matrix of the kingdom of Christ. The covenants of Israel are the matrix of the covenant of Christ. Israel is the true and real mother of the Christ. And even this idea of the womb being identified as Israel. And from her will come forth the son, Christ the Lord. And so we rejoice in what God has done. And let's close out this morning with prayer, and we'll pick up again next week. Father, we thank you for your word. And we, Lord, we know that uh, for, for most of us, Lord, we would be considered among the, the Gentile nations of the earth, Lord. And we find many of these customs and ways mysterious, Lord. We, we, don't, we don't speak Hebrew fluently, and we may marvel and wonder at, uh, Lord, how it is that you've set these things up. But, Father, I pray that we would trust, Lord, in, in your wisdom, in your uh, ability to, to bring about your decrees and purposes, even set in motion before the foundations of the earth. And we thank you for, um, Lord, the, the, the blessing that we have received in Christ. Lord, your desire to bless not only one nation, but all the nations, and your commitment to that plan And we pray that you help us to to rejoice in it and to praise you. And Lord, to also be a generous people ready to share the good news with those around us. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon preached at Redeeming Grace Bible Church. If you'd like to find out more about Redeeming Grace Bible Church or find other sermons and resources, please visit us online at www.redeeminggracechurch.ca. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. That the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.